Flourishing Education, the podcast where I share the powerful, imperfectly perfect conversations with disruptors of the education system in the UK and beyond. I would really like to encourage you to take a listen and see what's possible as I ask the question, how can we change the way we educate and parent our children and young people so that they can truly become flourishing, curious, lifelong learners and young adults. I hope you enjoy these episodes as much as I've enjoyed recording them and creating them. Please do not hesitate to connect with me on LinkedIn, Fabian Vales, and or, and or on Twitter at FlourishingHG. And please let me know what's your favourite episode or favourite part of the podcast. I look forward to hearing from you and in the meantime I truly hope you are thriving and flourishing. Wishing you a fabulous day wherever you are in the world. Hello and welcome to another powerful, imperfectly perfect conversation, the Flourishing Education podcast. Today I'm delighted to welcome Steph Kuipers. I hope I made or I pronounced your your surname okay. If not, then you can re- <laughs> re-pronounce it for me. Um, for the for the podcast, I'm really really delighted to have you here today. Thank you. Wonderful. So, Steph, shall we start with you telling us, me, us, the you know the listeners, everybody, a bit more about yourself? So, where you're based. Um, and and you know your journey thus far um, okay. so we know a bit more sure um i'm based in morsel which is located near antwerp in flanders belgium <clears throat> there's actually a joke about antwerp that they say antwerp is a city and the rest is this uh, parking space so i usually say like morsel is a kiss and ride of antwerp <laughs> um my background i um i did my education in it i have a master in it and from there on, I, I kind of kind of wandered all over the place. Uh, I do improvisation theater as a hobby, but it also resulted in me taking a sabbatical at one point and getting a master in film and acting. Um, I did contemporary dance uh, coaching, uh, business intervention course. I did a, a, a leadership training in the in the U.S. Uh, with CTI, um, and um, eventually. I ended up in in uh, research on monetary systems and behavior by accident, to be really honest, because um, between 2008 and somewhere 2012, I've actually been kind of wondering what am I going to do with my life? I wanted to get out of IT and then been, been on a journey kind of searching for, for a new purpose. And... If you would have told me in 2010 I would end up in research on monetary system, I would have probably told you were crazy because it kind of didn't interest me one bit in those days. But uh, 2012, I started wondering, why is it so hard to solve our climate change problem? Because um, having a background in IT, it, it kind of creates a view on the world. You go like, okay, you, you've got a problem, you analyze the problem, you kind of write the solution, then you... You'd run the software, right? Um, but what I noticed is we we knew what the problem was, we knew what the solutions were, but but um, running the software, actually doing what needed to be done, didn't didn't really happen. 
So I started digging into that. So why why was this? And uh, to keep a long story short, the answer was money. Because the narrative was always, there's not enough money to pay for this. Uh, uh, we don't know who's going to pay for this. It's going to hurt the economy. It's all kinds of things. So, so I started my, asking myself the question, okay, why is this? Um, and then at one point I came across the website of Positive Money in the UK, where they explain how our monetary system actually works. And my first thought was, this is a conspiracy theory because this cannot be. Really? Really. <laughs> wow. And then in 2014, the Central Bank of England published a paper that said exactly the same thing. So then I thought like, well, if these guys are saying that this is the way a monetary system works, then it must be true because I don't think they kind of grew up conspiracy theories too. <laughs> and um, then I was like, but this, this is, um, there must be a better way. And then I started looking into, can, can, we can we design a monetary system that works better and actually serves society better than the one we have now? And in 2016, I came up with one and together with uh, Hepotomy, the organization I work with now, uh, we developed it further and we're now trying to put it uh, on the table as a viable alternative. That's a little bit in a nutshell. Yeah, amazing, <laughs> amazing. So my first, my first question to you, because yeah. I'm, I'm also interested in, in the aspect of, of money. Yeah. Um, for different reasons, because like you, last year I took a, a career break, a sabbatical, because I wanted to, to you know, walk away from university teaching and language teaching in university. Um, and obviously unpaid career break, so yeah. no money. Obviously, I, I have a husband, so that helps, yeah. right? Um, if I was on my own, I'll admit, I probably wouldn't have been able to do that because we've got children, etc. right? Um, so I'm, I am very grateful and I recognize my my uh, privilege in that sense. Um, that's the first thing. But the but then I obviously resigned from my position. Um, and I really found myself during that year because I'd been, you know, I've changed my approach to living uh, yeah. in the process. Um, and there, there's always been for me a little bit of a, it, it seems like it's almost a, um, opposites right or, yeah. or things that don't sit well together so I would love your insights into that is that you know you were talking about sustainability or how we obviously look at sustainability and change the way we look after the planet and others and ourselves mm -hmm. and then the fact that we live in a society that says we have to work we have to earn money we have got to pay the mortgage etc and for me, like this last year, I've been like, how do I tally this? Because there's a part of me that wants to run away, go in, in Scotland, in the middle of nowhere, and have nothing to do with society. <laughs> but that's also not the answer, right? Because we obviously ah. want to be part of society. So could you tell us a bit more about that? Like the, the you know, the you were talking about looking at you know, how we make money and where money comes from and stuff. Perhaps if we start with that, we're like setting yeah. up the, the system um, yeah. so we know more maybe from, from that point of view. Yeah. Well, one of the things is, is um, it, it's kind of funny that, because uh, this morning I had a chat with Carolyn White, uh, who's also working on monetary reform for several years now. 
that she told me that she she had met central bankers that didn't even know how uh, commercial banks actually create money. Um, so what what basically happens is you go to the bank and you say, okay, I want I want to take out a loan of I don't know hundred thousand euros. The bank creates hundred thousand euros of new money and puts it in your account. And on the other side of your balance sheet, they put uh, a debt of hundred thousand euros. So banks create new money every time someone takes out a loan. The, um, a lot of people, and it, it, I still read it in newspapers, and to, to be really honest, it, 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 it nerves me that, that this is still going around, that reporters write that banks lend out savings of other people. This is not true. Banks do not lend out savings of other people. They just create new money when people take out loans. And, and when you pay back the loan, when you pay back the principal, the money gets destroyed again. Um, not the interest, though. The interest is profit for, for the banks. So you, you got a you gotta monetary system that creates money from debt, charges an interest on that. The, the money to pay off that interest is not created, so it needs to come from somewhere else from money that's also created from debt on which interest needs to be paid, but the interest is not paid. So you, you always have more debt than you have money if you add the interest to it. Um, so the interest is is profit is uh, profit for the banks. And with that they they pay their employees, but they also they also use that to uh, to invest in in bonds and stocks and shares and derivatives and and you know financial market stuff. So that's kind of in a nutshell how the monetary system works. And this is crazy because nobody tells us. So one of the things I keep saying to, to, I've got teenagers and I keep saying to them, you need to understand how, how the system works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I didn't. And, you know, and it's almost like we we just, we, we're not taught any of this, right? We kept completely in the dark as in yeah. we don't ask questions yeah. and we just believe what the system tells us so it's like you know get the qualifications then get the job and then get onto yeah. like this hamster wheel right but even um, in, in most e economics books if, if you read a section about money say banks are just intermediaries they just accept money from savers and lend it out to borrowers but that's not the case there's um there's a paper written by Richard A. Werner, and he did research. What he actually did is he went to a real bank and said, like, okay, I want to look into your computer system and track the creation of a loan. And what he noticed in the computer system, there wasn't a penny that was moved. It was just the loan was created, 200,000 euros was created in the deposit account of the client, and 200,000 euros in debt was paid on, on the asset side of the bank. There were no savings involved there. There is... This, the entire system is a little bit more complex than just this, because you also have the central bank system, which actually works in the exact same way. Central banks create money out of debt for banks. And banks need to have, in Europe anyways, uh, a minimal reserve uh, in order to create loans. But the minimal reserve is only checked every six weeks. And on average, they need to have... Uh, uh, enough reserve, which is 1% of the debt they, they have towards clients. Um, Crazy. My goodness. Yeah. So literally, 
it's money that doesn't exist is that what you're telling me so there's well, the like money. out there there's there's it's many it's money that is created on a computer and put on a spreadsheet yeah it's actually just numbers in computers but the the concept of money is is more psychological thing if, if we accept that something is money then it can be used as money and it's useful I mean, money is is useful as a concept the, the question is just to ask, is, is it the best type of money that we can come up with? And I'd say the answer to that is no. So is, is the system being kept because it's serving, my, my take is that it's serving a purpose for some people? Well, I, th I think it's, um, it's kind of like protocols and regulations in organizations. If they exist long enough, they're not questioned anymore. Then people say like, this is the way it is. And, and with money, most people will say like, well, this is the way money works and no one questions anymore. Like, but is there a way to change it? Now, there are, there are quite a lot of local currencies around the world. Um, monetary systems uh, in, in, in small communities that work differently. Um, you will also see that people using that money will have different behavior when they use that money towards when they use our general purpose money from the debt-based banking system. Um, and this is another thing that, that is undervalued, the, the fact that the design of a monetary system will influence the behavior of the people using it. One of the aspects of monetary system has is a total lack of financial security. If you lose your money, there's no guarantee whatsoever that you will regain money at a later point in time. Okay, we have social security systems, which are better in some countries than in other, others um, to, to kind of help people transition the, those, those periods when, when they're uh, totally out of money. But the monetary system itself has no built-in security. That means that people will start building their own financial security by um, saving. But you probably also know you got savings on your bank account and then you're like, oh, but I don't want to touch my savings because that will eat away my financial security. So you know what? Maybe a little bit more will be safe. And then you have a little bit more and then it still doesn't feel safe. So maybe a little bit more. So it ends up that it, the way the system is designed kind of drives, drives us to hoarding more and more money in the hope that at one point we'll feel, we'll feel financially safe. And in the extreme, it leads, it leads to greed. There's another aspect of the monetary system is you can hoard an infinite amount of money. I've done the calculation, um, um, you know, people go like, oh yeah, billionaires, but we, we actually, Emotionally, we don't have a connection with what a billion actually is. Um, it's a large number, and that's kind of where it ends up. Imagine you get born, and at birth, you get 1 billion euros. And you know that you will live 85 years, and you will be awake on average 16 hours a day. And the goal is by the time you die at age 85, all your money needs to be spent you need to spend 2,000 euros per hour. Wow. The waking hour of your life in order to spend the full billion in 85 years. 
Wow. We we had a similar conversation about Ronaldo's pay recently because he's he's moved to the football player because he's moved to the Emirates or something like that. And his his wage, like my husband was working at how much he was yeah. earning yeah. even during his sleep. Um yeah. And it's like, it's crazy amounts of money, right? <laughs> it's just something. And then that leads to my next question is that, do we need that sort of money anyway? As no, in- actually not. And, and the funny thing is, because people then think like, oh, billionaires, they're, they're happy. Uh, but research has shown that uh, extremely rich people experience as much financial stress as we do. Um, and that leads them to gated communities and and. and and all that because they feel threatened by the world. Um, inequality, well, extreme inequality leads to all, all kinds of negative impact on, on society. I mean, people being, uh, feel less safe, there's less social mobility, um, our, our social fabric starts to break down, um, there's more polarization. This, this, and if, if, if we would reduce inequality um, severely, actually, we don't, we, don't, we don't need billionaires. Billionaires don't need their billions. They would actually be better off if they had less money. <laughs> it's um, something that's, that's difficult to, to, to get across because, of course, they, they all live in a mindset, no, this is what I need, and I've earned this. Yeah. Um, but no one really earns a billion. I mean, you would have to work 85 years, 16 hours a day at 2,000 euros a month to earn a billion. No one does that. (laughs) Yes. Well, and so you mentioned also the um, that banks then buy bonds and stuff, and there's there's something called the financial market, right? And very often... Uh, bankers get really bad bad rap and bad reputation and all of those things so how does that fit in the the whole model of of where money comes from where where does the financial market sit well you could look at the financial market as a market of products so um and the the price gets determined by the demand and and um, and the offer. If, if there's if there's a certain shares that have are high in demand, then prices will go up. If, if they're low in demand, then prices will go down. The funny thing is, is not this does not always have to do with how well the organ actual organization is doing. It mostly has to do with how well people think the actual organization is doing, or um, even they just look at the shares and they don't. It's like oh, these shares are going up, so they will be good, so we'll buy them. And uh, then when they start going, I will sell them again. Or we actually we try to sell them just before they go down. Um, since a large part of the financial market is, is, is run by algorithms these days, those algorithms do not do um, in-depth research about the health of uh, organizations they buy shares from in split seconds. They just look at market fluctuations and, and buy and sell shares and, and, and make people money. And the value of those shares put together is a, a multitude of the total amount of money available worldwide. 
So there's not enough money to, to actually pay for all the shares. And if you go into derivatives, I, um, I saw a figure in 2015, there was about $30 trillion worth of money available in the world. And the value, estimated value of the derivatives in the financial market was between 600 and $1,200 trillion. which means it's mainly a lot of hot air. And as long as people yes. believe it has those that value, then everything will be fine. But as soon as people start start realize like, oh, actually, oh, no, this is not as valuable as I think it is. And they start selling it. And yet then, then you, you got stock prices dropping because everyone's panic selling them. So growth, like for example, our country talks a lot about how we need to keep the growth yeah. going. Is that also like a, a concept? Like, like uh, obviously the same that that works with the with the whole of the money uh, concept. Yeah, um, it's, it's actually caused by the design of the monetary system. I I ran a computer simulation where I stripped down the monetary system to its bare essentials, namely you create money. And then you create an, an equal amount of debt. And there's a, a net profit accumulation by banks uh, on, on the debt, uh, on, on the money that's been, actually on the debt that they have created. Um, and there's a, there's a couple of systemic properties that come out of that simulation. One is um, your total amount of money that's available in your economy has to grow at a rate which is higher than the net profit accumulation of your banks. Um, which means that, say that on all the debt that banks have created, they earn 2% net profit. This is um, when you just add up all the, all the revenues and all the costs from all the different products they have, but compared to the, to the debt they have created, they earn 2% net profits and they, they, they just accumulate that. That means that your total amount of money must grow at a rate of more than 2% per year, which means that uh, a minimum amount of lending must happen because otherwise the, 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 money, the, the total amount of money wouldn't grow. Um, if that does not happen, if, if that amount of money does not grow at that rate, then the total the debt compared to the total amount of money will grow exponentially in such a way that after a while they need to they need to start lending more money than is available just in order to just keep the same amount of money in your in your economy and then obviously this is where inflation comes in yeah yeah well inflation is is there's, there's always, always a, a psychological uh, aspect to inflation. Also, there's, there's the demand and offer thing, but it's also if, if people think they can earn money with something, um, then they will try to jack up their prices. Uh, what happened now with the inflation crisis we're going through now uh, started with the energy crisis. Because all of a sudden, energy producers are like, oh, energy is scarce now, so we, we can raise our prices to uh, ridiculous levels. Um, last month, I think, I read an article that 
the energy sector worldwide had uh, surplus profits around $2,000 billion. I, I I I just I don't comprehend any of this. I just don't know. It's like if it's all mindset, right? No, no it's, really? it's not. It's not. Um, we 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 like to believe that we that we have our master of our of our own behavior, but actually we are not. We are very much influenced with uh, by the people around us, and by the systems that we need to work with, and. Uh, I don't want to point fingers at the energy companies. I don't want to point fingers at, at the billionaires. I I really want to point a finger to the system because that actually creates is is a is a, a large component in the behavior that we see. Um, and changing that is way more productive than trying to get every billionaire, every energy company and, and, and everyone to pay their taxes and say like, you know what, I earn too much, you know, I'll give it away. So then that leads nicely onto your model and what you're doing with her, you know, her pandemic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the, the monetary system is just one part of the puzzle. What, what we're with Haponomy kind of uh, vying for is to create a society where our economic model supports us as human beings and where we can where we can thrive as human beings. We, we want to create a high quality of life for everyone. And the monetary system is, is one very important piece of the puzzle there. Um, the thing we've done with, with the model we created is, is uh, one, make sure that financial security is built into the model. And the way that's done is we say, well, you probably heard of uh, universal basic income. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, well, we, we, we prefer to use the term guaranteed income because the basic in universal basic income kind of um, has a tendency to, to make people think like, well, just give you the bare minimum, you know? Yes, basic, basic. not very nice yeah, word, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. So we, we use the term guaranteed income to say like, you know, it can be a little bit more, but this is something that's guaranteed. So we create money to give everyone a guaranteed income. Um, I'm, I'm just going to use a number, but the, the, you know the, the number is not fixed. You, we can choose any number we want. Say say two thousand euros a month. We give uh, every citizen two thousand euros a month as long as they're alive. Um, in the core model, this I'm, I'm just uh, there's a couple of extensions we've created around the core model, but that, I think that would lay, lead us into a very technical discussion and and. Uh, uh, if people are interested in that, there's there's uh, there's uh, papers they can read on it. Yeah, uh, if you send me maybe after our conversation, if you send me those links, I can just you know put them on the on on the podcast. Okay. Uh, in the core model, what happens is uh, at the end of the month, we look at your bank account and say like um, you need to pay a certain percentage, say one percent of your bank account, uh, because of the money that's on it. Um, for a lot of people, this this will probably give them a negative emotion, like oh, I, I need to pay money to hold on to my money. Um, but if you look, if that, if those would be the numbers, two hundred two thousand a month and one percent, uh, the technical term is demerge. That money is destroyed by the way. It's, it's a measure to keep the system stable. Um, it wouldn't mean that 
you would you would only really start paying money on the money on your account as soon as your account goes above 200,000 euros. Because the net income you get is 2,000 minus the demerits you pay and below 200,000 euros, um, 2,000 minus the demerits is still a positive number. So you, you actually get less net guaranteed income if you become richer, which is not a bad idea. No, because you don't need it, I guess, because yeah. you've got enough enough yeah. income. Yeah. Okay. And people can still work. Some people go like, oh, this is a communist system. So no, it's not. You can you can still say oh, I do a job and you get extra income for that. And that is that is added to your to your guaranteed income. And then you pay a demerge on, on what you have at the end of the month. And also because that answers an argument, which is, you know, with with the technology advancing as fast as it's advancing anyway, soon there's loads of jobs that won't be there that people are doing. So in a way that just enables people to still be able to put food on the table, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it also means that we can actually start automating more jobs so that um, all the work that people do not find meaningful Let's automate it. Because right now it's all about, oh, we need we need to keep jobs. So we, we're subsidizing larger organizations because they they have they uh, supply a lot of jobs, but they're actually doing stuff that harms our environment. Um, the, the entire discussion about farmers and uh, nitrate that we have going on here here I don't I don't know whether it's in your country too but here in Belgium and in Holland there's huge discussions between the farmers and and the fact that they need to manage their, their nitrate um, and also the, the the cattle owners the problem those people are facing is if we have to reduce this because they've done huge investments in their farms then we're not going to be able to put bread on the table but if you give them financial security, then, then actually all those things can be talked about again. Then we can start asking the right questions again, because right now we're often not asking the right questions. Um, I read an article a couple of weeks ago on the electric car. And they did an analysis like, you know, if we, if we um, exchange all fossil fuel cars by electrical cars, we'll need to expand the electrical network or we need to produce that much more energy and da 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 the electrical car is the answer to the wrong question we it's it's not a question how can we exchange every fossil fuel car by an electrical car it's it, the question is how do we make sure that people have high mobility in the society of today and the answer to that is really good public transport yes not more cars not more cars. <laughs> mm. And then we that. need all the, all the extra elect electricity to, to fuel the, the, these electrical cars. So forgive me if I have not, I've, it's my subjectivity on what you've just said, but to me, it sounds like a lot of this is more to do with our thinking and our mindsets. Yeah. But our our thinking and our mindset are created by the environment, the context we live in. Okay. So there's a feedback loop. Our thinking and our mindset creates the environment we live in. The environment we live in creates the, the, the thinking we have. So you need to be able to kind of take a step back 
and go like, what's it actually all about? What does it mean to be a human being? Is, is a fundamental question that, that people should ask. And, and how do we want to live as human beings? I'm pretty sure that there is not a single individual, uh, except maybe for psychopaths or people that have brain damage, that go like, I want to live in a, in a world where survival is hard, where there's war all around, and where uh, people have to scrape to make a living. But do you think it's because that's all that we grow up with? As in, there's a part of me that just, you know, like you so was talking about environment and, you know, that, that to me that's, I felt like I've had, had to do 13 years of unlearning to be where I'm at, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, um, and again, that's because I'm, in, you know, I feel also I'm in a position of privilege because I've got that time yeah. to, you know, I, I reflect on how when I worked full time as a mom and I had two the two young kids, yeah, yeah. I literally felt like that on the yeah, hamster yeah, wheel yeah. going, going, and there's no headspace. No. Um, and I also, you know, we live in a village and the traffic in the village is becoming more and more important, right? And post-COVID, I can really see this, like how people... People are not present. So I'll give you an example. Yeah. The other day I was walking and there was a lot of rain and a lot of water in, yeah. in, in the road. And literally people were splashing me. Like I was walking with my dog and I was just being completely splashed until I suddenly went, you're not alone. <laughs> and literally this man who was driving, I saw him go, like jolt, almost like out of, I don't know, <laughs> you know. And, I, and that made me really reflect because I just think, well, how often was I like that yeah. as a as a human being yeah. when I was working nonstop and you know? It's it's um have you heard about the book Scarcity? No. It's it's a really interesting read. because what, what what they've uh, the subtitle is why having so little means so much. Um I uh I'll I'll send you the link and look up the authors. Wonderful. What they what they research is is what scarcity does to us and our, our thinking and our behavior. And what they've noticed is, um, is as soon as, as an object becomes scarce, it can be time, it can be money, it can be uh, social contacts. Uh, the first thing that happens is you, you get a focus on, on what is scarce, um, which means you get tunnel vision. Everything else starts to drop away. The second thing that, that happens is that your long-term thinking is out of the window because everything becomes about short-term solutions. If you're, if you're working against a deadline, you might so, sometimes it might be better that you say like, okay, I need to take a step back and I need to look at the bigger picture. But people won't do that because no, I need, I, need, I need it now, 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 now. Uh, and then you start eating away at, at, at resources of other projects, and then you get in, into stress there. And so long-term thinking out of the window. The third thing that happens is that your IQ drops by about 13 points. Wow. You become dumber. And they, uh, how they, they uh, got to that conclusion was they, they interviewed uh, sugarcane farmers, I think in India. Uh, what they do is they 
sell their harvest once a year to the sugar factory, which means they get their income of an entire year in one go. It's really hard to manage an income of an entire year throughout the year and then make sure that by at, at the end you still have enough money left. So right after they sell their, their harvest, they're rich, they're affluent, and, and there's no shortage of money. The, the weeks before they sell their harvest, uh, money is scarce and it stresses them out. The same people, the exact same farmers have done IQ tests after and before, and there was a 13 point difference in their IQ. That's crazy. This is what scarcity does to us. Yeah. So yes, indeed, if you're, if you're caught into the rat race, you just don't have the mental bandwidth to take a step back. And it, it, it happens with politicians too, because they're also in their own political rat race. And they actually do not have the bandwidth to, to step back and then look at like, oh, hold on, what, what's actually the purpose of politics? The purpose of politics should be taking care of the people, making sure that everyone, everyone has a good life. Yeah, not quite what we're getting right now, right? <laughs> um, I think most people on an individual basis are really doing their best. Uh, there are exceptions, of course. Um, but it's it's just they need to work within boundaries of systems that work against them. It's, and it's, it's the same with our economy. I mean, this, this, um, if you talk to, to entrepreneurs that really want to do good, they will tell you that they're struggling financially because the system is, is working against them. Very often, not always, but yeah, often. So your your model, how I mean, how would it work? How are you looking at implementing it and and taking it to the? Would it would it mean that it would have to be taken on by? nations or governments or individuals or both or well we're uh, kind of looking into a couple of different strategies uh one is um we're talking to cities to see whether we can implement it as a local currency so as a, a complementary currency next to the general general currency we have now um, and the other the other path we're taking is we're, we're trying to find inroads to talk to central bankers and policymakers to see whether we we can implement it at a higher level. Um, it's a work in progress, and it's 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 not always easy. But we're finding partners and uh, people that have connections in in those worlds. So we'll see where we get. We're doing and I think it, it, there's similarities between what you're trying to do and uh, and and my work in education, right? Yeah. <laughs> in a way, <laughs> the education system is partially the reason we think the way we think and we do things the way we do, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, unlike you, I I very often I struggle when I say mm, maybe we we could approach the system slightly differently. So it's yeah, uh, yeah. um, so. That the the response. I mean, you know, I, I'm I'm thinking about what you said at in at the beginning of the conversation with your colleague saying that even the bankers don't know how money. Well, not, there's more and more, of them. but there are there are still some bankers that actually don't know how the system works. 
I had a friend of mine and he, he was uh, um, he was studying again and there was a, a, a banker that that came into their economics class and said like well yeah we need to be careful because we're we're um, lending out money of savers and he, he kind of raised his hand and went like that's not correct <laughs> and then he explained to the banker how the monetary system worked which is yeah Oops. <laughs> yeah it's 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 um and in a way i get it because mm -hmm. the way it really works is is is, is ludicrous because our money you know, people say oh, okay it needs to be backed by something it's only backed by debt and uh, in the new system what, what we have is it's actually backed by human potential because the amount of money that that is uh, available in your system is on average uh, the same per person you can actually mathematically calculate the total amount of money in in your economy by just uh, adding up saying like yeah, there's this uh, three million people in your economy we know that your equilibrium point of your system is two hundred thousand per person three million times two hundred thousand that's the amount of money that's in your economy it's calculable so you could say, and this is this is just a convention. Say like, so it is backed every two hundred thousand is backed by the human potential of one person, which I think is uh, not a bad. No, because then we could back it back a different system, right, or a different approach through our our human potential that then points to we can choose, right? We yeah. have a. Yeah. And, and you give quite a lot of power to people because uh, you give everyone financial security, which means that they know that if they're, if all their money is gone, next month there will be new money. That gives them more negotiating power for jobs. Uh, that, uh, it actually, funnily enough, it, it means we have a better free market because currently some organizations are saved organizations that are doing badly are saved because they provide a lot of jobs so governments jump in and they have to give them subsidies like oh you know we need to save those jobs with the new system you don't have to do that anymore so you can let those organizations that actually do not survive in the free market go bankrupt because the employees will still have an income so you improve on your free market mechanism and so effectively what people would do also is they would be doing jobs that, like you said, they enjoy. Yes. Right. So we mm -hmm. would have a different approach. So, so it's it's actually a whole systemic shift. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. Which also means that that um companies can can now, instead of going for profit, they can actually go for producing a maximum value. Yes. And sustainability yeah. and all the things yeah. to support. And it forces them into long-term thinking because they cannot hoard large amounts of money in this system. So you need to think about a sustainable business model or a business model that you sort of go like, okay, we, we're going to try to solve to solve a problem. And once the problem is solved, we can cease to exist, which in the current system is, is, is not something people contemplate. But which should be a viable option. Say, imagine that we go like, okay, we want to provide every household with a washing machine. 
and you produce uh, virtually indestructible washing machines. As soon as every household has a washing machine, you can actually cease to exist. The only thing you need to do then, instead of another organization that, that does repairs, every now and then maybe build one new washing machine, but you can scale down enormously. Um, and it's not a problem in, with, with the new model. It would be a problem with, with the old model because then all those people are out of a job and what do we do? And Yeah, it's such, but it's sort of like, obviously, clearly, it's, um, it's, there's two things that popped up for me when you were saying that. So like, this is so exciting, right? Because then it also answers the, why do we have so many chuckable things? Yeah. And things that we believe we need when we don't need them. And, you know, then we don't know what to do with them, etc. Um, because the reality is that, you know, very, very often people don't want to look at like we we not needed and you need to downscale and stuff. But the reality is that if we continue like this, we're not going to be here anyway. So yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like we can't keep this up. Exactly. So we might as well, you know, very often when people say to me, oh, yeah, the planet won't be here. And I go, no, 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 no. Planet will do just fine yeah. without yeah. us. Yeah. <laughs> I completely agree. We'll be the next dinosaur. Planet yeah. will continue without us. Without yeah. us. She'll shake us off like she you yeah. know, shook off the dinos dinosaurs and every everything else, right? Yeah. Um so so it make, to me it makes complete sense. I just I, I I it's how we get that shift from scarcity and fear. So yeah. like what I see in education is a similar approach in yeah. the sense that um, it's almost like the fearfulness. So my research I talk about flourishing yeah. and languishing or flourishing and survival. And uh, when we in survival, what happens is we become individuals, right? We become this sort of like body particles. <laughs> and so therefore you feel like you've got to protect yourself, right? Mm. And that to me feeds, feeds in also, you know, connects so so well with what you were saying about the that scarcity mindset that's being continued and, uh, you know, the, oh, but I'm, I don't have enough money, so I need yeah. to keep hoarding. Um and how do you view that shift? How do you think we can sort of like slowly get to change the, you know, is, 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 are there any things that you, you sort of talk about in Haponami uh, to help support mean, shift the mindset? mindset. Um, well, the funny thing is when we, like I said, we created games to let people experience what, what money systems do to you. We see a behavior change in this time span of an hour. So the, the thing there is that you could you could spend a lot of energy, and I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. Um, you could spend a lot of energy in trying to uh, change people's perspectives within the current system, but then the system will always work against you. Or you could change the system, and then people's mindsets will follow. Um, there might be people that lag behind or just there might be resistance, but, but it, it will be easier. It's, I kind of compare it often with, with building sandcastles in the floodline. I've done it as a kid. And every time I build a new sandcastle, I actually really believed I could win. 
I never did. <laughs> but every time I was like, okay, I come up with this solution and this solution. But what I was doing is I was fighting the system. And the system always wins. So if you want to build your sandcastle, build it somewhere else out of reach of the floodline. Change your environment and you, and you can create something that flourishes. Otherwise, we're spending a lot of energy fighting something that, that we actually have the power to change. This, this is what, what is mind-boggling. A monetary system is not a force of nature. It is a human construct. It is something that we created. We put it into the world. So we have the power to change it. But it is treated as if it's a force of nature. Yes. And this response that you said, like people say, oh, but, it, you know, like when I talk about changing the education yeah. system, people say to me, well, that's how it is. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, in a way, that's how it is, but it is not how it should be. Yes. yes. And it can be different. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, I think what, what amuses me is like, that's how it is. And so therefore we do nothing about it because yeah. it's uh and there's that that bit that baffles me. Yeah. Oh, because that's how it is, we accept it. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Okay. So this is why I guess you're trying to reach the policymakers and yeah. uh, and the bankers, because obviously all the all the, the financial the people in the banks and, and uh, yeah. in the markets, because they're the ones who yeah. Can well, we, we, also, we also want to bring in as a broader, I know that when I talk about it, it seems to be like uh, the focus is really on, on, on the monetary system. But you really need to see the monetary system as a puzzle of a larger whole, of, of that thriving society. The, the monetary system is, is a, a very strong component there, which is has, has a tremendous influence on how we behave and how we organize society. So that needs to be changed. But the monetary system is not the goal. It's one of the tools to get to, towards a thriving society where there is more equality, where we, we have stronger social fabrics and where, where we can actually be human again. Because we're de dehumanizing society at the moment. Everyone's becoming a cog in the machine and we, we need to serve the holy God of the economy. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yes. 100%. Yes, and, and, and the, the, the thing there is also everyone's suffering. Yeah. Not only the poor, but the rich as well. Yeah, and it's polarized, right? It's also yeah. that machine, those cogs also means that we've created a, a world that is very Newtonian mechanistic, you know, yeah. reductionist yeah. as opposed to, you know, yeah. like in my, in my work in education, I often, I, I, I recently sort of like published in second edition and I said, you know, because I used to believe it was an engine and, and yeah. I tried to tweak it yeah. until I realized, oh, hang on, it's a lived system, living yeah. system. <laughs> with, with feedback loops all over the place. I know. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, that, and, and presumably that then, I mean, you know, when you were saying when people play the game. Yeah. Um, and you see a shift in behavior. Is that because then people, I guess, in my words, there would be more flourishing because you don't have the 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 fear of. Well, actually, uh, we, we used to play it first with the current monetary system and then with the new one. OK, we do it the other way around these days. The reason is 
because we they, we sometimes had comments from people but yeah you know i didn't really know how to play the, the game yet and that's why we had such high inequality and so much suffering in the first game and in the second game it's you know it's because we already know how to play the game so we changed switched it around so now they first played with a new system and then they get to learn how the game works and things work pretty well because it's um usually ever the, the goal is to build up a pension by the end of the game and everyone has a good pension or uh, some even a luxurious pension and then you play it the second time round, and then people already know the, the rules of the game and all of a sudden you get stressed out people people really focus them themselves there's huge inequality at the end uh people are suffering um and afterwards they reflect and it's like oh shit there's a, there's a second game, a board game uh, that we developed. Um, it takes longer, it takes a couple of hours to play. And there you, you build up uh, a, a society where you, you produce uh, goods, food, and housing are the basics. Uh, there's a, a well-being center and a, an algae farm. To, uh, the algae farm is, is, is necessary to reduce pollution in your atmosphere. And there are two tech companies that can help you automate uh, and, and improve on, on, on your little economy. And uh, during the test phase of that game, we once played it with, with a couple of people that are all actively involved in circular economy work. Um, they played the game with the current monetary system and their pollution went through the roof. Afterwards, they were appalled at their own behavior like and, and we're actively working on circular economy and this is what we did it's it kind of shows uh how strongly a system influences our behavior although we love to think that we're completely in control of what we do this, uh, and and so, sorry to, to cut you here steph but do you think that is there something around the free will conversation here as in like feeling that yeah <laughs> well, often the, that the, conversation right yeah the free will thing is an interesting one I'm, I'm i uh i still want to believe we have some free will but i'm also sure it's where um it's not our main mode of operation i mean you go uh it's either you go to the supermarket and, and, and when you're hungry and you will come out with different stuff than when you're not uh, we also tend to buy everything that's at eye level, more than than things that are below, below or above. Um, they did an experiment in the States once where they put emojis on the floor, pointing towards the vegetable section. They were just like happy emo emoticons. Like, um, the amount of vegetables in people's purchases went up with 8%. Wow. How funny. Yeah. Yeah, and it's the same that then explains why loads of people bought loads of toilet paper during COVID, yeah. Yeah. or when we you know when suddenly, like what you were saying, like suddenly, you know, with Brexit, we had massive issues with like products being in the in the stores, and and suddenly people were storing like fifteen kilos of flour in their cupboards. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, why are you making <laughs> <laughs> very very large cakes? <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> 
in case you need to make your own bread. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, uh, yeah, and, and we don't question those behaviours, right? Or not enough. No, but it's also because we're social creatures. We, we will follow the group. We have a tendency to follow the group, we, or even though we cry out that we're all individuals. Mm. But we we want to be individual, but we want to be individual we, who is included in the group. Yes, who fit in and are yeah. and belonged and have yeah. this sense of belonging, it's, right? It's our great strength, but it's also our great weakness. Mm. I mean, we have become the dominating species on the planet, because we are, we have the highest social intelligence of all primates. All other types of intelligence were at least matched by other primates, but our social intelligence is something that that we are way we, we share things, we share knowledge. If if we find out something, we we want to talk to someone about it. Um, but we also want to belong. It's, it's, mm. it's a it's a strong human need. And if mm. everyone goes in one direction then you need to be really strong in your shoes to go the other direction. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to be like the salmon that's sort of like going home. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, going upstream. <laughs> and you know what? And, and, and that's the other thing. You, you don't even, it might be that the entire group is actually going in, in, in the right direction. And if, if you go off on your own, that you're actually going in the wrong direction. But sometimes the group is going in the wrong direction. It's better go the other way. Yeah. I mean, how do you determine that? I guess it goes back to what you were saying about what what's underpinning the behavior and the and the, you know is it towards a more humane and more yeah. you know more flourishing yeah. and you know more more because that sense of belonging I think it's so important those relationships and yeah. the process that they are like the the underpinning of what makes us yeah. happy or not right or, or fulfilled or not yeah yeah this is one of the aspects definitely but but then it's then you can go into an in art because human behavior is complex because then you go like okay we, we, we meet need to make sure that people belong but then you got these closed off groups where the inner circle belongs but everyone else is like the outcast yeah and that's that's not not really good either but also we we have a um, a tribal mind that is is only capable of having about 150 peoples within mm. our our, mm. our immediate surroundings. So, um, yeah, it's human behavior is very. I mean, get, everything that that says A, you can all yeah, but there's also B, mm. there's C, and actually, you know what? In circumstances, circum circumstances, there's D too. You kind of need yeah, to take it all into yeah. account. Yeah. And it becomes very complex really quickly. Yes, like wicked problems, right? That's yeah, weird. yeah. It's a wicked. It is a wicked yeah. problem. How how do we manage eight billion people on a planet? Is a wicked problem. And how do we make sure that everyone actually has a really good life? Yes. But that we need to make sure that we have systems in place. That um, there's a couple of things that I, I believe on are necessary. We need to avoid concentration of power. Because concentration of power inevitably leads to problems. Um, look at Russia, look at uh, Afghanistan. You, you got concentrations of power that that inevitably gets abused. Look at Hungary. Look at look at all the political leaders, leaders that actually made uh, entrenched themselves. And look at 
the quality of life in those countries. It's, it's, it's not that good. So avoid, uh, implement systems that avoid uh, concentration of power. And the monetary system that, that we've developed goes partly towards that because you give people financial security and financial independence, which also means you give them power. You actually do a redistribution of power with the system. A lot of people probably don't like to hear that. <laughs> um, and then make, well, if, if you have a, um, if you have that, then everyone kind of has a say. And then you get inefficient processes, but, but will, will, which will eventually lead to solutions that are maybe not perfect, but at least supported by virtually everyone. Yeah, and, and we know that people put a lot more effort into things that they've constructed themselves, right? If it comes from you rather than from somebody telling you what to do, then yeah, you're yeah. more likely to be involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you need to give people the opportunity to say like, oh, well, what, what about if we do it this way? And you can say no, but then at least give them a reason why. This is also something in, in education that... Um, the learning process of a child stops when you tell them because that's the way it is. It's better to say, I don't know, go ask someone else, or I'm currently too lazy to think about it. But don't tell people that's the way it is and you stop, uh, should stop asking questions. Yeah, because that's where why our children stop asking questions. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like and, and they stop learning as soon as yeah. they, as soon as, as they they lose their inquisitiveness then they stop learning because they know yeah well that's the way it is I'll just just hop on the hamster wheel off you go yeah. <laughs> keep going yeah. going yeah and then we mm. end up miserable and unhappy at at the age of fifty or something and. Mm. <laughs> yeah amazing well that was um phenomenal thank you so much steph i've really enjoyed this conversation well thank you for the opportunity it was it was a pleasure yeah wonderful so two things before i let you go yeah. the first one is is there a i mean i'll put your ted talks or your two ted talks because yeah, they're yeah. the first things that i watched yeah, yeah. Um, if that's okay um is there anything that you would um if if the the listeners really resonated with this conversation. Is there anything in particular that you would recommend them reading besides what you've mentioned and you're going to share with me? Um, well, I'll send you as, 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 as much documentation as, as I can. Um, and otherwise, I'd say uh, let them get in touch with us. We're, we're yeah. always looking for people to help us um, you know, get to where we want to get namely yeah. a society that, that where everyone can thrive. Mm -hmm. uh, we can use all the help uh, there is out there. We're, um, we're making plans, but we're also kind of discovering it along the way. So it's a, it's a work in progress. Yeah, work in progress. I love that. Um, and then my final question is, if there was one thing really you would want people to take away from this conversation? Um, systems can be changed. The only thing we need to do is believe that we can do it. Um, if you look at history, 
there's a lot of things that were impossible at one point in time. Um, women's voting rights were impossible. Gay marriage was impossible. Airplanes were impossible. And, you know, you look at it today and it's, it's all there. So impossible is only impossible until it's done. Amazing. And I quite like, because I'm a linguist, I always think that impossible can be changed to you put an apostrophe and then it becomes I'm possible. Yes, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Thank you so much, Steph. Lovely to connect with you. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please don't hesitate to get in touch with me with any comments or questions you may have. You can find me on Twitter at FlourishingHE or on LinkedIn at Fabian Fails. Please also like this podcast as it's helping me promote it and don't hesitate to share it widely with your friends and family. Thank you so much for listening and for your support.